0: I think with music like that, I don't know whether I'll have the energy to preach every week. Uh, I love the worship. Uh, well, it is a delight for Carolyn and I to be here. We, uh, uh, we uh, have not chosen to do this. We have just followed what we are absolutely convinced God wants us to do for right now. I always request that we uh, sign a three-month contract because that gives uh, either of us, if we think it's not working, after three months a way out. And you may have me for three months and say, we've had enough of you, and uh, that might be the case. So, uh, But we are glad to be here, and I want you to know that Carolyn and I are looking forward to meeting all of you, greeting all of you. We're looking forward to ministering alongside of you and to you and have you minister to us. And we are looking forward to all of the things the Lord is going to do here. Uh, We are temporary. One of my favorite phrases in this job is, hey, I'm temporary. Uh, and I am, but, uh, but the fact is, uh, Carolyn and I do our best in the time we are here to be as much a part of you as we can be because now you have become our church and we are looking forward to being with every one of you. Forgive us if we, uh, ask you your name five times, uh, because there's only several hundred of you, and I don't do real well with names, but uh, Carolyn does better than I, so I always have to say, now, who was that? And, uh, but we will get to know you, and I, am, I, I love these elders, and I love this staff already, and uh, we are, we are going to do very well together. I view my job... Partly as helping you get ready for a new guy coming. And uh, we don't know who he is yet. We don't know where he is yet. But God has his hand on him already. You can be sure of that. God made that decision long before any of us were born. And the result is we just have to be ready for him to come. So um, we're, we're honored. To be here with you. Let me pray, all right? Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you have brought us together in this way. Our desire for all of us is to be where you want us to be, doing what you want us to do when you want us to do it. And we know, Father, that's how you choose to get ministry done. So I would ask you, Father, today to, from the outset, sanctify this relationship that we are entering into. Allow us, Father, to have the blessing of God on what we do here and how we do it, Allow us, Father, as we mingle with each other, as we become part of each other's lives, as we share together, as we laugh together and weep together and grieve together. We ask you, Father, to put your sanction on all of this for the Lord's sake and for the glory of the Lord. So today, Father, We've been thinking about ministry and what are the ways that we do ministry and what's necessary to be in place to do ministry. And so we pray, Father, that you will teach us even more today in the process of doing ministry together. And we will thank you in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Well, we have been talking about ministry. I, uh, I, you, you don't have an outline this morning. And you say, shame on me because that's my fault that you don't. I came to the office and was having so much fun that I didn't get an outline out. So I have the outline. It's in the computer. So maybe I better give you a filled out one next week so that, uh, you don't go into some kind of, uh, Reaction Without an outline. I want you to have an outline. Uh, and I knew that you just couldn't live without this last sermon in John 21. You remember I'm saying that John 21 is there for a purpose. It's there because John wanted to take the opportunity to show us what's necessary to do ministry. This is the end of the Gospels. This is the end of the description of the life of Christ. Uh, And John wants to show us what it's going to take for us to accomplish the task that Jesus left with us. Now, he uses Peter. It's at Peter's uh, expense that John gives us this, but the fact is we benefit from it. Let me review for you. Um, the first thing that we said was that a successful ministry is the result of total commitment to one's calling. We have to have a total commitment to our calling. We have to be people who are willing To say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, even though there are other things I'd like to do. Remember what we said about Peter. He was called in John 1, then he went fishing again. He was called in Matthew 4, then he went fishing again. He was called in Luke 5, then he went fishing again. Now you find him in John 21, after the resurrection, after this time with Thomas, after this experience when Thomas put his fingers into the wounds of Jesus, and all of that experience Peter has had with the resurrected Christ. And what does Peter say? I'm going fishing. It's as though Peter has nothing else to do. It's as though Peter would rather go fishing than do anything else. And at this point, he's going to take six other guys with him in the process. So Peter needed to stop and consider his calling. And every one of us have to do the same thing. And by the way, not every one of us, let me mention this, I know you know it, not every one of us is called to be a preacher or a pastor or a missionary. A lot of us are called to be godly school teachers and godly engineers and godly janitors and godly students and many other things that we may be. The second thing that we said is that successful ministry uh, is the result of total dependence upon the power of God. Several times, Peter went fishing and caught nothing. And you see this in John 21, too. Jesus said, I, go out and, and fish. And Jesus inevitably tells Peter to fish in the wrong time of the day, in the wrong place. But in this case, in John 21, G, Peter doesn't even argue, and he goes out and catches a whole ton of fish, 153 to be exact. And what Jesus is saying to Peter through these experiences is, Peter, you need to understand there are things you can do with my power that you can't do in your own power. We cannot rest in our own power. We have to trust the power of God to accomplish the ministry that we're doing. The third thing that we said is that successful ministry is the result of unequaled love for Jesus Christ. Remember that passage. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Uh, Shepherd my sheep. Uh, And remember that in this case, Peter is being restored To leadership. He denied Jesus three times. He declares his love for Jesus three times. And this is the place where Peter has to say, I love you, Lord, more than these things. Remember our discussion of the word these things? It's talking about the fish. It's talking about the nets. It's talking about the boat. It's talking about the paraphernalia. It's not talking about people. And so Peter has to get these things put in the background and his love has to be first for Jesus. Now, a lot of us have been caught up in the stuff. For me, it wasn't fishing. It was a motorcycle for a long time. I loved my motorcycle. And I would come home And I would say to Carolyn, let me tell you what I bought for the bike today. I bought a... Mm -mm." She'd say, you bought what? Uh, We have to release ourselves from the stuff. And we have to put our love for Jesus ahead of our love of these things. And Peter ultimately was able to do that. And the last thing that we said is that successful ministry is the result of accepting Christ's priorities. It was feed the sheep, shepherd the sheep. Feed the sheep, shepherd the sheep. It was people in the mind of Jesus. The purpose for ministry is to minister to people. The purpose for ministry is not to become famous or infamous. The purpose of ministry is to minister to people, to make a contribution, to make a difference into the lives of people. And Peter had to learn that lesson, that the priorities of Jesus were people. And Peter had to take on those priorities. And when he was able to do that, he was able to go on with ministry. So there are the first four principles that we discussed. Martin Van Buren was the eighth president of the United States. He died in 1862 just as the Civil War was getting going. And uh, one of the things he said one time I read that I'll never forget is that it's easier to do a job right than it is to explain why you didn't. And suddenly I realized at a point in time that it had to be a part of my life to do a job right the first time around, rather than have to explain to my boss, you know who my boss is, why I didn't do it right. So we go on with the principles. Here is the next one. It's the first one in our outline today. Successful ministry requires surrender. Successful ministry requires surrender. Now, we don't like surrender in our culture. Uh, Howard Hendricks once said, "In the spiritual realm, the opposite of ignorance is not knowledge but obedience. We tend to want to be in charge of our own lives. We can, you hear even counselors say, you have to be your own man. You have to take charge of your life. Jesus wants us totally, unconditionally surrendered to him. And that becomes a difficult thing, especially in our culture. So let's take a look at the text and see what's happening here. This is after the, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Now Jesus says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Jesus is saying to Peter, you've got to give up your independence. If you are going to do ministry that is going to be successful, you've got to give up your independence. You have to give your will to me. When you were younger, you used to think you were in charge. But when you get older, you can be sure you won't be in charge Anymore. The result is, he says, You will stretch out your hands. Someone else will gird you. You'll be taken other places where you don't even want to go. Now he said this, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, get this picture. When he had spoken this, he said, follow me. Circle those words in your Bible. Highlight those words. They come again in verse 22. It is the translation of one word. In this case, it's two words to translate one word. In verse 22, it's three words because he will say, you follow me. It's the translation of the Greek word akalatheo, akalatheo. And akalatheo means that you follow someone because you have bought into who they are. You follow them because you have become like them. You follow them because uh, you have taken on their goals and their objectives. But there's more to it than that. This word, this use of akalatheo, is an imperative. In other words, it's a command. Now remember, this is the guy that God has called several times and left it for the stuff. And then he had to go through this, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And he went through this whole process, and now Jesus is commanding him again Follow me. And it doesn't stop there. He uses it in what we call a continuous present tense. It's a present active imperative. He is saying to Peter, You continually, constantly, progressively follow me. So now, Peter, I want you to Get rid of the stuff, and I want you to yield, surrender totally to me. Surrender is a hard thing. It actually brings freedom to us. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, and of course Paul is talking here about the law, and the Galatians were uh, on the verge of stepping back into the law. They were on the verge of making certain parts of the law necessary to be saved. And in verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Freedom brought freedom. <laughs> Interesting. Therefore, stand, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. For Peter... His surrendering to Christ brought freedom from the stuff, from these things. See, slavery to Christ is the highest kind of freedom. Slavery to Christ makes it possible for us to be freed from all the other things that would distract us. One time, many years ago, there were a group of pastors in a meeting in a particular town trying to decide which evangelist would come and hold evangelistic meetings in their town. And uh, one guy was pushing real hard for D.L. Moody. Uh, We need to bring D.L. Moody here. And in the process, a younger man stood up on his feet and he said, Why D.L. Moody? Does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Well, then they went talking and discussing, and there was chatter in the room. And finally, one of the older, more distinguished pastors, like myself, I'm joking, you realize, stood up and said, No, D.L. Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. And when that kind of surrender is the reality in our lives, there will be great ministry get done. Think of the things that D.L. Moody accomplished. And I know that surrender is hard for young people. I was one once. I know it's hard to realize that. But I remember how hard it was for me as a young Christian, a young believer, and also a young man to surrender everything to Jesus Christ. But that's what he wants, everything for him, total surrender. The next principle is successful ministry requires sacrifice. Successful ministry requires sacrifice. Now we're going to put that scripture back up on the screen again. And I want to center on the words, you will stretch out your hands. Now, whenever you see that in Scripture, and you have to remember that these words are written when the Romans were in the practice of crucifying people. So whenever you find that terminology of the stretching out of the hands or the stretching out of the arms, it generally refers to crucifixion. And what Jesus is doing here is he is predicting and prophesying how Peter is going to die. And the result of that is, is that John clarifies in verse 19. Now this he said, Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death he, that is Peter, would glorify God. In other words, he's going to be crucified, and there's going to be sacrifice in the process. Now, we don't know the kind of sacrifice that took place with those early believers. Uh, You know, they uh, they were told they had to declare Caesar as God, and if they didn't, they would be thrown to the lions, and sometimes they... They laid on the Colosseum floor for days, wounded, dying in the sun. And uh, and we don't understand that kind of uh, sacrifice in our day. We we, we we sacrifice for the Lord if we give up uh, one mocha a day or, or one mocha a week. Uh, Peter was going to be crucified for the sake of... Of Christ in the Scriptures, you find three reasons for death. In the Scriptures, you find three reasons for death. Now, of course, there's always old age, and uh, some of us, like me and Don Snow, we're not too far away from that. But uh, and he's closer than I am. But uh, but there are three reasons given in Scripture. The first one is that the job is finished. The work is finished here on earth. You see that with the Apostle Paul in Second Timothy 4 when he said, The time of my departure is at hand. I'm going to die soon, he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. The job is done. Now I can die. You know, uh, in our day, it's always great when a pastor finishes well, uh, we have so many pastors that don't finish well, and they live in a culture where sin is so easy. And and uh, so it's always great when a pastor finishes well. And sometimes a pastor may say, you know, I can die now because I'm, I've done the job, and that's what I thought I had done when I retired. The second reason is chastisement. You see that in 1 Corinthians 11. Here, there's a problem. I don't have time to explain it all to you this morning, but suffice it to say that the problem was they were abusing the right and the ordinance of the communion service. They were abusing the Lord's table in the Corinthian church. And in verse 30. Paul says, for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you, and some even sleep. Some have died. God killed some of them because of their abuse of the Lord's table. That's why Paul in the same chapter says, when you come to this table, examine yourself. Stop and say, God, am I I okay with you? Am I right with you? And, and, and God, I know there's that thing I did yesterday. Let's get that taken care of before I go over there. Uh, so there is this process of chastisement. And over the years, once in a while, I've scratched my head and said, why did God take that young man out so soon? The third one is for the glory of God. And that's what we have here. Peter is going to be crucified for the glory of God. God is going to get the glory. Now, there were two early men in, uh, in the writings, the early church writings. One is Eusebius. Eusebius is, uh, is from Caesarea. And uh, Eusebius was uh, lived from 263. To 339, he died in 339. Uh, He was a bishop in Caesarea. The other one is Tertullian, and Tertullian was a prolific writer. He died in 225, even before Eusebius was born. And uh, these are early church fathers. Tertullian uh, championed and was an apologist for the Trinity, and of course, the Jews didn't like the Trinity. They thought it was talking about three gods. So the Jews didn't like the Trinity. And uh, Tertullian championed the Trinity. And so uh, uh, we read that uh, Eusebius and Tertullian, early historians of the church movement, reported that at his own request, Peter was crucified upside down, believing he was unworthy to die as his Lord had died. So we have historical uh, references to Peter's crucifixion and the the declaration of Jesus, the prophecy of Jesus came true. Here's the last principle. The third for this service, the the, uh, seventh in the bunch. Successful ministry requires selectivity. And when I say selectivity... I mean that we have to select the place, the time, and the the method based upon the will of God. We have to be where God wants us, when God wants us there, and uh, doing the job the way God wants us to do it. Now get this picture in your mind. Peter has gone through the three, Peter, do you love me? Jesus has told him, You've got to give up everything. You've got to surrender to me. You've got to give up your independence. And Peter's told him, you're going to be crucified. Now, Peter's walking, they're walking along, and Peter looks behind, and he sees John. The text calls him the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's the way uh, John always refers to himself. And it refers to him being the one that in the Lord's Supper leaned his head on the breast of Jesus and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? He looks at John, Peter looks at John, and he says, Lord, what about him? You ever done that? Yeah, you've done it. God says, I want you to teach that children's Sunday school class. And you say, what about that gal? She could do it better than me, Lord. And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain till I come, what is that to you? In other words, it's none of your business what kind of ministry I give to another person. You and I only have business to do between you and me, Peter. The business we have is between Peter and God. The business that I have is between Hagenbaugh and God. I can 't put that any of that on you, but we do it don 't we? We always want to say uh, she 's not functioning the way she should he's he's living in sin uh, boy we uh, we keep thinking about other people, and then notice at the end of that statement. You have that, verse 22, that second time when God, uh, Jesus says to Peter, you keep on following me. In other words, it's none of your business what anybody else does. Your job is to follow me. Man, I'm telling you, if we can't learn from that principle, there's nothing for us in this entire book. God's business with people is God's business. God's business with me is a whole different story. This is the supreme command of Jesus. And we must concern ourselves with God's will for us. God will select. God's will is select and individualistic for each one of us. What God wants me to do is going to be different from what God wants you to do. And none of them are more important than another. Each of us, each one of us must minister precisely where God wants us to minister. Carolyn uses a little book by Ruth Myers entitled, 31 Days of Praise. I, I like the book. I, I read it too sometimes. And On day 17, I want you to pay close attention to what she says. How do we get to where we should be, where God wants us, and to do what God wants us to do? She says, thank you that you have me in the place where you want me just now that even if I got there through wrong choices or indifference or even rebellion, yet you knew my mistakes and my sins before I ever existed, and you incorporated them into your plan to draw me to yourself and mold me and bless me. Thank you for that, even if I am here through the ill will or poor judgment of other people. All is well, and I am in your sovereign will, and you have used past events to bring that about. Thank you again for how you worked things out for Joseph, who was sold into slavery, exiled to a distant country, and later sent to prison on false accusations. And that through all of this, you had him in the right place at the right time for a highly important purpose. So you may look back on your life and say, how did I get here? You might not even like the path, but you are where you are. And apparently it's where God wants you right now. God will never give you a ministry that you cannot accomplish. And God knows your talents, your gifts, your dedication and your willingness. He will never ask you to go any place, do anything in any way that he doesn't think you can accomplish. And don't forget, you always have that power with you. Thus We must concern ourselves with God's will for us as individuals. Albert Hubbard once said, some men succeed because of what they know, others because of what they do, and the few because of what they are. And that's what has to happen in all of our lives, men and women alike. We have to be what God wants us to be. Never underestimate what God is able to do. Our job is to follow the principles and do ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Last year, I I needed a haircut. And my daughter and her family live on Steamboat Island up uh, on the Sound outside of Olympia, and there's a little barber shop up there, and it's run by a little Korean lady, and I thought I'd go in there and get a haircut. And when I walked in the shop, there was an open, big open Bible, and uh, signs all over the walls about Jesus and, and God and loving God. And I said, you must be a Christian. She said, I am. And it didn't take her long to start telling me stories. And, and she found out I was a a pastor and, and she told me about her great grandfather in Korea. One time, many, many years ago, a missionary went to Korea and he wasn't liked there. The Koreans did not accept him, but he preached And he shared the gospel, became part of the people. He preached and shared the gospel for many, many years. And not one person came to know Jesus. And he got to that old age place where the job was done and he died. And the men of the village went in and ravished his place, his house, his hut, or whatever it was. And uh, they stole everything in there. They took his Bible and tore all the pages out of his Bible. And she told me some of the Bible, they used the pages for toilet paper. And some of it they took home and they put it up on their walls as decoration and papered their walls with it. And one day, many years later, a little boy who was her great-grandfather was in one of those houses And he started looking at that wall, and his eyes fell on John 3. And he read John 3 in Korean, and he got on his knees by that wallpapered wall and trusted Christ and became a believer. And she said, that's why I'm a Christian today. And in her mind, she would say, That's why Korea is a Christian nation today. See, sometimes we never know what God is doing. Sometimes all we have to do is be in the right place at the right time and be doing the right thing and be confident that that's what we're doing. And I assure you, that's what I feel like I'm doing and Carolyn, we are doing. Right now, in this place, at this time. So in a moment, you'll be singing about the man of sorrows. You'll be singing about the old rugged cross. You'll be singing about total committing of oneself to God. And as you do that, And as you rise from your seat and go to the communion table, ask yourself, am I in the right place? Am I where God wants me? Which one of these principles do I need to interact with today? Maybe it's surrender. Maybe it's my calling. Maybe it's picking up on the priorities of Jesus Maybe I need to get more involved in people's lives. Say to yourself, I'm going to come to the man of sorrows this morning, and I'm going to give myself totally to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are in charge. God, I thank you that there's a lot of things in this world that's none of my business. It's your business, and I can trust it to you. I want the business between you and me to be what it ought to be. And, Father, today as we start out on a journey, to prepare ourselves for that man, wherever he may be, and whoever he may be. As we do that, Father, melt our hearts together. Give us the same vision, the same priorities. And, Father, every time we kneel before the man of sorrows on that old rugged cross, Allow us to give again ourselves to you. And we do that this morning. In the sweet, sweet name of Jesus. Amen.